In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have arrived at the fourth of the five pre-Lenten Sundays, beginning with the Zacchaeus, beginning with desire. We move to the Sunday of the prodigal, of the publican and the Pharisee, with its struggle between pride and humility, and thence to the Sunday of the prodigal son, its theme of exile and return through repentance to the Father's kingdom. And now we come to the Sunday of the last judgment, known popularly in all Orthodox languages as meet fair, farewell to meet. It is the literal translation of the Latin English word carnival, carnevale, farewell to meet. This theme of the last judgment has a subtext, and the subtext of judgment is love. That may be not immediately apparent, but it is there. And when you have seen it, you cannot not see it. Yesterday, the Saturday of Meat Fair, we had in the morning the great liturgy for all the departed. And at the end of that liturgy, blessing the koliva, the wheat, we prayed for all those who have reposed. And so we began this weekend with a great act of love. Why do we pray for the dead? Because we love them. Because the fact that they are dead has nothing whatsoever to do with the current of our human love. And always and everywhere and down through the millennia, the Church does not pray for the dead. That is an abstract noun. It prays for the specific names that are brought to the Church by the faithful. Because the Church does not love mankind, or man, or the living, or the dead. The Church loves John, and James, and Peter, and Joseph, and Mary, and Salome, and all those by name. Any contemporary study of Western civilization, of culture, will remark that the concept of the person was invented by the Greek fathers. Curiously to us who have studied ancient history, curiously, in the ancient world before Christ there was no concept, no idea of the person. There was a concept of the individual but not of the person. It took the Greek fathers as they wrestled with the issues of understanding their own experience of the persons of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they stumbled across the concept of the person himself, that individual who bears a name and who is created by and loved by God not merely individually, but as we would say, personally. 
And so the Church does not pray for abstractions, abstract nouns. It prays for the specific persons who bear these specific names. And so it comes to pass that the Church inaugurates this weekend by considering those dead persons whom we have known, whom we have respected, whom we have loved, and perhaps, paradoxically, whom we have not loved, those who have acted to us in such a way that we have considered them our enemies. And yet, we pray for them. As it says, bless them that persecute you. On this Sunday, the theme being given, like all these five pre-Lenten Sundays, by the Gospel, we come to this great Gospel of God's judgment. What is the criterion in the mind of Christ, the God-man, as he teaches us, instructs us, about how we will be judged, by what law? It is the law of love. And we who break the law of love will be damned. And we who fulfill the law of love will be saved. It is a very curious aspect of today's gospel that it is not merely those who are condemned by their failure to love, who are shocked and dismayed to discover that they have indeed lost their chance at eternal life in Christ. But those who have fulfilled the law are also surprised. When they learn that they are saved, and when they learn why, they say, but, but God, when did we see you in these derelict conditions and minister to you? When did that happen? We can't remember it. And then God reveals such a precious part of today's crucial message. No, you didn't do it to a king wearing a golden crown, flashing with diamonds and jewels. It was when you did it to the one who is least in your estimation. When you ministered not to the person who interests you for some reason, whom you like, who you enjoy being with, but when you did these things spontaneously to someone who was in your own estimation the very least, the last, and with such spontaneity did you characteristically respond fulfilling the law of love that you forgot it immediately and can't remember it now. Because God identifies himself not with your best friend, not the one with whom it's a lot of fun to have dinner always, but he identifies himself intensively with the least of these, his brethren. <coughs> we know that the love of God, like grace, 
showers down everywhere. You know there is no place that God's love fails. God's love does not fail, but ours fails. That is the tragedy of the human condition, the human predicament, that we are capable of not loving. In a certain sense, it could be said that God cannot not love. God is incapable of not loving someone. And so, if God loves everyone, and loves everyone equally, and bet the rent on it, he does. How can there be a hell? How can anyone manage to go to hell if God loves everyone the same? Here we stumble over the phenomenon of human freedom, that God has created us so radically free that we can refuse his love, we can reject his love, we can turn away and walk away from it sorrowfully, gleefully, sarcastically, in any mood we like. But yes, we are free and we can say no to God and to his love. And God will respect our freedom. And he will respect our free choice, our decision regarding himself. And if we will not love him, God will not force himself upon us. Because God loves with freedom, he never rapes, he never forces, he never coerces. He leaves us radically and perhaps even tragically free. It is the great burden of our humanity. It is what makes the human condition a predicament. It is that which forces us to make choices that are difficult because they are always, always ascetic. We are asked, we who are traditionalists within the family of the Eastern Rhine, do you say that we other ones do not have grace? And we always say to them, how could you not have grace since God's grace is everywhere? Well then what's the problem, they say. Why are we not in communion? You see, we are playing a shell game here with words. From the perspective of God, God's grace, like sunlight and rain, falls equally everywhere. But it is we who fail it. We can reject it. We can believe and act in such a way that we become impermeable to the grace of God. In the, pre in the interwar period of the 30s, there was a famous convert to Christianity, a Jewish woman named Simone Weil. She was a great philosopher, and she died during the war, but not in a concentration camp because she lived in England. She died because she adopted the diet as her fierce personal reaction to uh, uh, the phenomenon of fascism. She adopted the diet of those in the concentration camps, and she starved to death. So we can say that Simone Weil had the courage of her convictions, to put it very mildly. She said many wonderful things as a Christian philosopher, and I will tell you just one of them. She said, do you know that it is possible for each one of us to live in such a way that we block the pores of our soul, 
we block the pores of our soul so completely that the grace of God cannot seep into us. We remain free of his grace. And therefore, she said, we remain dead. This is what gives life its serious dimension, its depth, its intensity. Our beliefs, our choices, moral, intellectual, emotional, have consequences. And that is what makes the enterprise of living important. That is what makes it important to be a human person. That is what makes it something about which we can tremble with joy when we wake up in the morning and realize we are alive. I am a person created in the image of the living God. And therefore, every word I speak this day will be decisive, both for me and the one to whom I speak it. Every gesture, verbal and nonverbal of mine, that I give even to the casual stranger who crosses my path on the sidewalk or on the highway for just a split second, has eternal consequences. And therefore I live, well, to tell you the truth, the only way I can say I live is sacramentally. My relations with everyone, my spouse, my child, my parent, my colleague, those with whom I work, those who are just strangers to me, those whom I love, those whom I hate, those to whom I am indifferent, all those gestures, echo eternally. Was it not the Lord God himself who said that we will be judged by every word that has come out of our mouth? Because it comes, as he points out, from our deep heart. Therefore, the Christian lives in a certain way, acts in a certain way, walks in a certain way, speaks in a certain way. He is not bombastic. He is not violent ever. We read every day in the practice of the lives of the saints, and we are looking at the lives of especially the ones who died violently, those who were killed as martyrs. With what modest, humble joy they regarded even those who were cheering those who killed them, those mobs in the Colosseum, those who killed them themselves. What it is to be a Christian. And this, the fourth of the five Prelentine Sundays, you and I are taking one more sobering step towards the great and holy 40 days fast. And this week we will think about love and judgment. And we will think about God and how he finds us, how he judges us both now and in all eternity. Amen and Amen.